All right, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. I thought in this episode we'd get into another leading and managing self topic. And I think in the last episode I mentioned that we can improve and we work to improve our personal resilience as leaders and managers in four areas, mental, physical, social, and spiritual. But I think another area that's separate, I don't know if I captured one of those four areas, although it can impact those four areas, that I think can cause us stress if we mismanage it is our financial health and readiness. And I think uh, I've had my personal challenges with this. I've seen many people run into challenges with this on their personal and professional life. And it definitely, if you mismanage it, can introduce stress, misfocus, and really impact your ability to lead and manage in an effective way. So with me today to discuss this is Sari Ibrahim. So Sari is a financial planner and a member of the Bank on Yourself organization. He's worked with Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Sigma HealthSpring, and Humana before founding his financial services firm. Sari's got an MBA in project management from DeVry University. And Sari, thanks for joining me on the Cutlass Podcast and welcome. Paul, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So let's uh, learn a little bit really about you and how did financial readiness become a passion of yours and how did you end up in this field? I was looking, you had a bachelor's degree in something different than finances. Yeah, I actually, I got my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. And I originally wanted to either be a police officer or I wanted to go to law school and become a criminal defense attorney. So that was my original goal, some of my okay. original goals in life. But as you know, um, as you kind of progress throughout life, you know, your, your goals change and that's fine. Right, because I think you end up learning more about your lifestyle and the things you want to do in your life. So after I got my bachelor's in criminal justice, I went to get my MBA. And I got my MBA with a concentration in project management. I thought I was going to be a, a project manager. I was going to take the project management professional exam, the PMP exam, right. um, and, work, and work for a company in, in Chicago where I'm from. But as I was taking the courses and kind of learning more about that, I realized, you know, I, w I didn't really click that well with project management, both the subject matter and the way that uh, of working. Okay. Um, and I, I was really attracted to money, the money and more, mostly of managing more on the, how people react with money, how they handle money. That was what hooked me. That's what got me hooked. And I wanted to do that job where I help people solve money problems. But I was still new to the industry. I didn't know what that was called. I didn't know, you know, financial planner, financial consultant. I don't know. So uh, I got a job at Allstate Insurance working in financial services. I was working with business owners and helping them manage their risk management and insurance and their portfolios. Really enjoyed that. I noticed that I was comfortable talking to people about money, asking them questions, and then vice versa. I started noticing that people were comfortable talking to me about their financial problems and financial situations, whether it was too little and they needed some help there, or it was too much and they had too many assets that, that they needed to manage. Um, and I wanted to zoom into this industry in financial services and insurance, so I stayed in the industry. And I got into healthcare, working with retirees and helping them with their health, with their healthcare, their insurance, Medicare insurance. Okay. I worked with Blue Cross, like you mentioned, and Cigna. And, and that was also very rewarding too, because I was working with people who had already retired and helping them make the transition from their employer plans to their own Medicare plans. And I just wanted to keep adding on to that. And I read a book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book talks about the strategy. It talks about the, the use of the bank on yourself concept and how you could build wealth predictably on a guaranteed basis and a tax period basis in the future. So I zoomed in on that book and that concept. I became a bank on yourself professional. I went through the organization's training. And now as of today, I run a company called Financial Asset Protection, 
We do financial planning, financial services, insurance, Medicare for real estate investors and entrepreneurs in all 50 states. It's crazy how we shift around, right? You find your passion yep. and it kind of probably more finds you than anything, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you reached out and connected to me. Uh, you came across the Cutlass podcast and I know you've heard or we discussed a little bit and you've, you've heard some of the topics, but this concept of I discuss often about leading in four directions or three directions, leading down, meaning the people you lead and influence in your life, leading across, meaning your networks and your peers and leading up, meaning leading the people you work for. And then this final vector is leading and managing ourselves. You just mentioned it earlier, managing your finances, I think, really comes down to managing personal risk and really hedging against unpredictability. So I like to start with, when you talk risk, let's talk the outcomes. If you don't manage risk, let's touch a little bit on the what's in it for me for our listeners. So why do you think listeners should care about financial health and discipline? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think that financial, a lot of problems, if you think about it in life, like most divorces are due to financial problems. Most, you know, friendships and social relationships end because of financial reasons. Most business partnerships end because of a lack of finances, a lack of of money in a business, you know. So most problems, I think, in life come from a lack of financial stability. Also, most problems could be resulted to due to more problems, you know. Like 80% of people who win the lottery end up in a worse financial situation than when they, than before they won the lottery. So, right. so in, in other words, there's this connection that people have to make between understanding how money works and understanding how they work and, and connecting them. And it takes time. This is not something that you could just do overnight. It's not something you're born with. It's something that, you know, you have to just like anything else, like learn about and practice and, and, and have help and get help, just like how you get help in other areas. For example, when we look at like the wealthy, like how are how are the wealthy always able to stay wealthy generation after generation? Because you know they might have you know billions of dollars that they're transferring from one generation to the next generation. But also they're really big on financial education and really learning how money works. Um, and and you mentioned you know earlier too about risk. And I think that when it comes to risk, I think that there's the first step is you want to separate two types of risk: necessary risks and unnecessary risks. So. Okay. Unnecessary risks is where you know you're taking leaps in life, and this is kind of not outside of money, not just regarding money, but outside of money, is that you might be taking leaps, and this is how people kind of make um, unusual decisions. It's because they wanted to take some risks, but it wasn't necessary to take those risks. Okay. And yeah. and then the opposite, of course, is necessary. Like a necessary risk would be starting a business. Like that's risky. Most business owners fail, but yet we we still have a tendency to do it anyway. You know, and that's fine. Um, even if the chances are high of failure, which brings it to another topic. And the other topic is the fear of failure. So as you can tell, Paul, there's a lot of like layers of paradigm shifts that people have to understand about money and risk. Difference between unnecessary risks and necessary risks. From what I've seen in my time in the military, when you bring that financial impact in from poor management or poor decision-making, your creditors can come at you, right? They start calling in on the command. I don't know if that, I don't think that happens too much in the civilian world per se. It might, but definitely there's consequences and that can lead to loss of security clearances that could lead to loss of employment, you know, in, in some cases. So it's definitely got impacts on your personal employment too, at least in the military side. What have you seen on the civilian side with impact on career? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, reg- there's there are the direct uh, consequences and indirect consequences. Like for example, if you are irresponsible with money, you're not paying your bills. You know, some direct consequences could be you know a, a negative impact on your credit, 
creditors call you. And then indirect consequences would be your lifestyle after that. You know, the way that you manage your marriage, your relationship, the way your relationship with your friends and your social circles, with your employers. I've learned that, you know, recently over the last maybe five years, employers, when they do background checks, they're doing soft credit inquiries as well. Part of the background check. And part of a soft inquiry check, you could see if they owe people money, are they in debt? And then what kind of debt is it? Like if somebody has $100,000 in medical bills, well, that could be understood. You know, it's not like you anticipated that was going to happen. You know, you're working on solving it. But if you have $100,000 in taxes you owe to IRS, which will show up on your credit report, or, you know, $100,000 you owe credit card companies, then that's just, that's a, that's a judgment of character now. Yes. And that's just somebody that doesn't pay their bills or want to pay their bills. So now this employer is going to think about it. Like, why would we hire this person who doesn't really care about how like systems work, you know, and, and how um, responsibility works? That, that's one angle. And the other angle is what if you're getting a job where you're a financial executive or a financial professional in a company where you're going to be handling money? That's also going to be a negative sign, too. Like if you can't manage your money responsibly, how can you manage other people's money responsibly? So this is the thinking process of society around money comes down to decision making. I love that point you made about character because I, I just jotted that down. So something like your credit rating, you know, this is all about trust. When lenders are giving you money, they're really trying to gauge your credibility and your trust. And your credibility is based, as I've said many times on the podcast, on your demonstrated character and your competence. So your willingness and ability to pay your bills, that's what that credit rating really translates into. And then people can judge that your credibility and your ability to pay that money back. So let's flip it real quick. Now let's go, we've talked about the bad. And when we take good risk decisions with money and we invest properly, what are the positive outcomes of good financial management? So when you're taking the the, uh, necessary risks uh, and you're calculating the risks, so you're taking calculated risks, and, and the outcomes in your are in your favor. Now we need to save that money because there's only three things you could do with money. You could either spend it, invest it, or save it. That's the only thing you could do. And sometimes you could combine those different strategies together. But now we have to think like, what do we do with this money? And what you do, the decisions you make what, after you get the money is just as important as the decisions you did to lead up to the money. In other words, it, you have to keep making these decisions around your money. Just because you've earned it doesn't mean you're, you're, you're settled now. Now you have to transition and switch gears into what do I do with this money? And I mean, some people might have their own rules that they've created in their life. Like every dollar I earn, I save 10% in this account. And then I allocate um, another percentage to another area. There's a concept, Paul, called profit first. I don't know if you've heard of it, profit first. But profit first is pretty much a system that you would use to allocate funds. It's a lot, a lot for, for business owners because business owners typically choose when and how they pay. They're paying their taxes and their bills where and, and how much money they're making. Whereas... WT employees, it's pretty straightforward. For example, if I make $1,000 a week, that's my income every week minus taxes. But if I own a business, then it's it's subjective, right? That I could pay quarterly taxes, I could pay annual taxes, I could not pay my taxes at all and deal with the consequences that right. way. But you have more control over it. So Profit First it says, for example, that every dollar you earn right off the top, you would take you know five cents, put that as your profit, uh, 50% goes to your operating expenses account, 15% goes to taxes, um, and then there's a couple other ones like your owner's pay and then, yeah, your income. Okay, what you're doing is you have these different buckets, these different bank accounts, and you're allocating to these different accounts. 
And that's what you kind of want to do moving forward is that you want to give your money like duties. Like, all right, you go towards savings, you go towards taxes, you go towards operating expenses for future expenses in a, in a separate account. And when you, and you're managing money this way, you're less likely to spend it rather than just going into one account and then blindly just spending it. Because the reality is, Paul, that's where most Americans fit into. They just have one account. Everything goes into that one account and they spend most of that money. About 60% of the U.S. you know, lives paycheck to paycheck. You know, the vast majority of people don't even have a thousand dollars, and it's not an income problem really. It's more of a savings problem, and, and even more specific than that, it's a matter of control. Because human nature is just like you want to kind of battle your own human nature, and in that, if you had money sitting, for example, in a in a bank account and direct access just through your checking account through a debit card or a credit card. Yep. It's going to be easier to spend. This is what large corporations and banks want. They want to make it very easy for you to spend your money, so that way you keep uh, you keep spending your money. They want they, that's what they want. It helps them when you do that. They charge fees on the debit cards and credit cards, uh, and it keeps it keeps things moving. So you want to intentionally create obstacles between you and your money. Instead of me putting my money into an account that's directly tied to my debit card. I'm going to put it into a separate bank account that doesn't have any debit card or credit card attached to it. Meaning if I need to get to that money, I might have to drive physically to a bank. I've seen, Paul, that the wealthiest people I know, my wealthiest clients, they have these intentional obstacles between them and their money. They're creating intentional obstacles because they want to decrease the chances of them touching that money and spending the money. They want to think 10 times before they touch that money. Right. So these are some things you want to do for saving for the future. Okay. I want to touch a little bit more on that in a bit, but uh, real quick, you have this bank on yourself concept. What prompted yeah. you to develop that? What's that all about? So bank on yourself was developed by somebody named Pamela Yellen. She wrote the book bank on yourself revolution. And the concept is very, very similar to the infinite banking concept, which was invented by Nelson Nash. And what this concept is, is that it helps people grow wealth outside of the stock market and it helps them grow on a tax favored basis. It also helps you grow your funds on a guaranteed basis. So typically it involves one asset that's been around for over 160 years and that one asset is dividend paying whole life insurance. Whole life insurance has two parts to it. It has life insurance, just like the title of it, and then it also has cash value in it, like almost like a savings account within the policy. And the bank on yourself concept is when you're using a special type of dividend paying whole life insurance, you're, you're designing it in a special way that will allow you to grow wealth for the future, cash for the future that you can access and become your own source of financing, to become your own banker and, and to bank on yourself, just like in the title of it. So that's what bank on yourself is. Okay. Um, and it was really designed in a way so that way people don't have to, because, and then, so it brings me to my next point. So I mentioned there's only three things you could do with money. You can either spend it, invest it, or save it. So. You know, the, the part of um, investing it is that people would always think that in order for me to grow my money for the future, it has to be in the stock market. That's a common um, that's a common thinking process for a lot of Americans is that if I have money, you know, I have to put it in a 401k, IRA, mutual fund, in a brokerage account. It has to be in the market for me to grow it. And that's not necessarily true. There are ways to grow your money outside of the stock market in more predictable ways and more on a guaranteed way. So that's what bank on yourself is. Uh, let's talk about goals and priorities. You started touching on this a bit, but there's many things, many buckets to put our money towards. So what's Sari's advice to, let's start with a new worker in a career on how to establish a good foundation of financial health. You know, what's the strategy? Is it minimized debt, emergency funds, investments? What's the portfolio look like as that young worker in the workplace? 
Yeah, awesome question. I love that. So first thing you want to do is you want to be you want to understand your financial awareness. You want to be very self financially self aware of your financial situation. And what this means is I, every day, every morning, Paul, I have something called a personal financial tracker. Okay. Um, and I and actually send this to clients for free when they reach out. So um, it's a it's a free tracker that I that I use, and I have like for example the date. So you know today's date ten twenty eight twenty twenty one. I have like, and then I have um, uh, my accounts on one side. So checking, savings, cash value, life insurance. You know, I have some cryptocurrency and some other accounts. So that's all my plus sides. And I each day I log into all those accounts and I plug in for that day how much the balance is. So how much my checking is, how much my savings, how much cash value, life insurance, and so on for that day. And if I have like, for example, $50 in cash in my pocket, I put that to like, how much cash I actually have on me and I put that. And then a little bit to the right, I have something called income. So how much income did I earn that day? You know, and then I write the income for that day. And then I write the source of it. Was it a paycheck? Was it a bonus? Was it a commission from a company? Was it, you know, what, how did I get that money? Yeah. And on the right side, further right side, I have my debt. So like, for example, if I have credit card number one, I even date, I even number it. So credit card ending in one, two, three, four. Uh, what's that debt for that day? Credit card ending in four, three, two, one. What's that debt? Uh, my student loan balance. What's that? And every day, I do this every day. It takes about 10 minutes to do exactly. I timed it out. It takes 10 minutes to do this every single day. And what, it do, what I do is I see a visual. I have a visual of my plus account and my negative accounts and what I need to do. And in the middle of those, I write my goals. All right, so this month, pay down this credit card. This month, reduce this debt. This month, increase this. I'm call this client to close this deal that's going to earn more commission that I could. So in other words, every day I'm programming my mind on what to do financially. So that's the first step I think for new workers is become very self financially aware. Know your numbers very well, how much money you make, how much money you have, how much debt you have, and how much you're expecting to make short term in the next six months, in the next year, and practice this every day. Another okay. thing too I would recommend is get help, get professional help from people who understand this, not just from financial sales representatives, people who sell financial products, but people who, who are coaches, financial coaches who are unbiased towards you, meaning that they're not going to tell you a specific product just because they're licensed to only sell that product, but they're really going to help you understand what your goals are and help you connect to your goals. So that's the second part. Okay. And the, th and the third thing too is get, you know, there's a, there's so many free education out there, podcasts, blog, articles, there's so much free content, free eBooks, free audiobooks out there. We have a podcast, Thinking Like a Bank, if the audience wants to check that out. So those are some of the ways that you can do if you're a new worker. You know, what do you do financially? Okay. Yeah, and I'll uh, you'll give me those links. I'll, I've got some of them. I'll throw those in the episode description when we're done so mm -hmm. they can resource those. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, fortunately, in the military, those financial coaches come as a free resource, right? So in the Navy, we have these fleet family support centers, and they have a whole group of people that do nothing but help you with personal financial management. And the first thing they do is have you outlie a budget. And to your point, it's the ins, it's the outs, and then there's a lot of educational tools they offer and things like that. So I'm definitely with you on the budget, the education, and just having awareness of what's going on. So we're progressing in our career, we're making money, right? We're bringing in more income. Perhaps we got that emergency fund established. Now let's talk about what we're going to shift to, right? How should our financial planning and portfolio adjust as we start to mature, make more money? You know, what's the balance of investing versus saving? What's the life insurance piece? What's, you know, thoughts on real estate? What would you offer the audience? Do you want to outline your objectives? So this is where a lot of people misunderstand this is that instead of taking a conventional approach and what conventional approach means is that it's the word should. You should invest 10%. You should invest 15%. You should save X amount. You know, that kind of thinking, unfortunately, will not help you 
in becoming financially free because everybody's different. And on top of that, everybody has different goals. One person might want to retire at the age of 50. One person might want to retire at the age of 60. Even and even the word retirement means different things to different people. For some people, retirement means just having passive income and not working. For other people, it means working part-time but still making the same amount of money you're making, you're making full-time. So you want to identify your own terms and your what does retirement mean to you? What are, what are your goals and identify them? And then every, and this is where the professional comes in, is that every, and this is something we do with our clients. You want to revisit these every six months or every year to make sure you're on track for those goals. And this is how when you're, as you're aging, you know, you would come across, you know, different obstacles in life. And with a professional, with a help, you can identify like, what you have to pivot. And it's fine. It's completely fine to pivot in different directions, especially in a coaching process. You know, I've hired coaches before, like life coaches, business coaches that helped me build my businesses. Um, and we've changed the, the scope a lot of times. And that's fine. That's sometimes the point is to change the scope according to your true objectives. And I say the word true because... You might say, for example, I want to retire at the age of 50, but what is it that you truly want? Is it that you want to be in a happier situation or, you know, and then we're in a subjective, of course, to certain people, but it's a, it's a constant progress. It's not, it's, it's too much. I think that money combined with people combined with their outlooks is too broad to simply put everybody in the same category and say, all right, you know, by age 50, you should transition into bonds and so on. And this is a problem. Paul and financial services is that people are look at it too logical and because it's not it's not it's not that basic it's not that basic and and simple it requires an ongoing progress and, and really in a way for you to identify what you truly want to do in your life yeah that resonates with me right so I think the money piece is not logical I think there's a logical piece to it right there's a math yeah. problem to it I think it's an emotional piece to your point we're all different right we have different risk tolerance you know, not everyone is a fan of the stock market, right? They watch 2008, they watch people lose money. Obviously it's recovered and gone up, but people have different risk tolerance. And then like you said, they have different personal goals, right? Not everyone wants to live lifestyles of the rich and famous. So, you know, adjusting to that, I think is important. I think sometimes when you start to start chasing more income or income goes up, that goes out, as I call them, right? The expenses go up too, right? You start to adjust lifestyle upward. That's always been something I've been cautious about. I'm always a fan of like keep the outflow low yep. and account for the you know the income coming up. I've also had my eyebrow up a little bit at stock market, but you know that's me personally, right? To your point, everyone's a little different. So I still think it's important to have like that emergency fund. You talked about that. That was enlightening yep. to me, like say you need new tires, right? Most people couldn't afford the four or $500 out of pocket to pay for that. And then it goes yes. on the credit card. Let's talk real fast this, because you brought it up earlier, when it comes to like life insurance, that's one of those things. I personally took that for granted, quote unquote, being in the military, because I had a life insurance account that just, we were given surface group life insurance, right? 400K, everyone got it. You bought in, it came right out of your account. But then when I retired, actually before I retired, I had another plan that I had bought. What's this difference between this whole and term life insurance? So there's three types of life insurance. The first one is term. The second one is whole life. And the third one is universal life. So term life insurance is like a set period of time. It's like it's like you're renting, for example. Like it's either 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. Very straightforward. It's one death benefit um, usually for the, for, the, for the entire period. So for example, somebody's 40 years old. They do a 10-year term policy for a million dollars. From between the age of 40 to the age of 50, that person is covered. If something happens to that person, their beneficiary 
their spouse, your kids, or whoever gets a million dollars, for example, they pay a fixed amount usually. Let's just say, for example, a hundred dollars a month every every month, every year, or they can pay it annually, and they pay it every year for ten years. If something if nothing happens to that person, the insurance company keeps the money, and that's it. They can renew it and go through underwriting again and try to extend it for another ten years or twenty years if they wanted to. The rates would be much higher at that point, but that's that's how it works. Okay. There's no cash value. It's just life insurance only. So the second type is, is whole life. It's the op- uh, opposite of that. So there's a start date, but not necessarily an end date. It's for your whole life. You only have to go through underwriting one time. You get approved for the policy. And then the, the other benefit or, is, or the other difference, sorry, between term and whole life is that you have cash value in it, like a savings account inside of the policy that's growing and accumulating cash value while it's growing. And then you're also earning interest and dividends on that money if it's from the right company and structured the right way. Not all whole life insurance is going to be the same. So, you know, you have to, it has to be the right company. It has to be designed the right way. Um, there's, there's other moving parts that have to be considered. Okay. But you're funding it for your whole life. And then, you know, when you pass away, um, your beneficiaries get the death benefit. And then the third type is universal life. Universal is a combination of term and whole life. But in, in essence, a combination of those two. You have some flex- flexibility. You might be able to pay in for a certain period of time. You do have cash value. It is a permanent form of life insurance. But really, uh, when it comes to the bank on yourself concept, you're, we're, we're talking about a special, special designed, high cash value, whole life insurance policy that allows you to become your own source of financing. And I can always borrow against that regardless of economic conditions or market conditions. I can always borrow from that money, pay it back on my own terms, pay it back whenever I want. Um, it, it's very, you know, it's very creative, the things that you could do with this. Um, what's your thoughts on investing? Investing it depends where you know the stock market. Stock market, as you could probably tell, I'm not a big fan of the stock market. I just don't like the volatility and the uncertainty. Nobody okay. knows what's going to happen in the stock market. So first step I do is I I invest. I save my money in whole life insurance, so that way I can build it up predictably. I know, for example, if my wife and I, we both know that you know we have three policies together. We both know that you know these three policies we could project out to the eight to the, to the time where I'll be seven years old. And we know exactly how much we'll have in cash value. And then during that process, if something were to happen to either one of us, we would have life insurance to cover that. So that's the first step. We have our guaranteed base. Our core is growing guaranteed. And then after that, uh, I'm a big fan of investing in real estate. And specifically, um, there's two different types of real estate. There's active real estate investing and then passive real estate investing. Active is where you go out, you know, you find a property, you have a realtor you're talking to the lender you're closing you're doing all you're you're actively involved in the process okay you know and then there's passive investing passive investing is where you're just investing your money into a fund or into a property as a limited partner for example let's say there's a 300 unit apartment building that costs 50 million dollars you know you and um uh, 500 other people are going to invest, you know, anywhere between 50,000 and 200,000 or 300,000 dollars into it, and you would own shares of that property or that fund, and then there would be a general partner, like a general manager of that, and they would do the work, they would hire the contractors, they would talk to the tenants, they would deal with the property management company, they would do all the work, they would be operating the the deal, they do all the work, and then you would get back a share of that business, you would get back either monthly or quarterly distributions from that. I'm a big fan of passive investing, you know, because you don't have to really, you have to understand the risk involved, right. but you don't really have to know how real estate works on a day-to-day basis, especially if, let's say, for example, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, an architect, you're busy with your full-time job, your family, your social life. 
the last thing you want to do is go out on you know Saturday mornings and talking to realtors, looking at properties. You know, it's, it's very time consuming. So you could just completely outsource that function to somebody else, um, be a limited partner, invest. You could even use your whole life insurance policy, borrow from that, and then invest in other deals as a limited partner. And then now you have your money working in two places. You have you have it working in the whole life policy, compounding over time, and you have it with the limited partner, with the, with the fund growing and earning dividends from rental properties that you don't you don't even have to go visit somebody else does everything so this is kind of this is why we named the show thinking like a bank you know we're thinking of how to multiply money in a very cost effective way low risk way and also with very little time needed just just we're emphasizing more on the way you think about money and kind of really trying our you know to mimic the way that banks think about money so that way you can apply those same strategies in your life all right. So at some point, many people can expect to get into some sort of financial trouble or they kind of mismanage or unpredictable things happen, right? You take on too much debt. Maybe it's not because you have a spending problem. Maybe it's because you have a medical emergency, you lose your job, right? Stock market tanks, financial crisis, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of things can happen bad. So what are some of the options and resources for listeners who may have found themselves in one of those situations? Like what's your thoughts on, you know, as much as I'm not a fan of them, payday loans, consolidation loans, bankruptcy, what would you tell them? Uh, first step, financial self-awareness. Get down to the numbers, really drill down on it. Get a clear, very clear understanding of your numbers and the type of debt. So again, somebody having $100,000 in medical bills is completely different than somebody having $100,000 in credit card debt. So a lot of people might say uh, that's the same number. $100,000 is the same number between them, and, I, I, and I'm screwed either way. And that's not true at all. Okay. You know, so know, know the debt, know your numbers, number one. Number two, go out there and get help. Get help, financial help from, from credible people and people who don't have any bias towards the decisions you make. In other words, it doesn't matter. Whatever outcomes you do, do not matter to them. That's who you need to work with. To, for example, financial advisor really that just works with one company, that's really probably not much they can really do other than sell you a mutual fund or sell your brokerage account. So I would go to somebody who's more of a financial coach and who's really an interview, maybe two or three of them, and really ask questions like, you know, what are some potential things I could do? Can you actually help me solve this problem? Uh, and interview them and then pick the best one from there. But really, you can kind of sense from speaking to these people on which one you're probably going to be a best fit for. Again, somebody who's invested in you. And the third thing, too, is when it comes to managing your uh, settling debt and consolidating debt, be very cautious with that. It's kind of sad to say this, but a lot of debt management companies actually benefit from people's from their situations. In other words, yeah. you know, you call a credit card debt settlement company and you tell them, you know, you have $20,000 in debt and you're struggling, to them, that's an opportunity. So now they'll say, all right, what will happen is just stop making payments to your credit cards, completely stop, hire us, we'll work with your credit card companies, and then you would pay them, you know, a monthly fee, and then you would build up an account, and then they would call the company and then settle that amount. But what happens is, is that you end up getting all these negative marks on your credit that are worse than when you first started the, the settlement company may exclude that from you or might put it in like a, a 200 page contract and send it over to you that way when you're signing everything it's it's too much for you to handle yep. and again because you're in this financial situation there's a lot of stress around you and your judgment isn't going to be very clear and they know this that that's how they're able to to make money they they literally target people who are struggling financially and mentally struggling because of the financial situation. So the financial self-awareness helps with this too. And then also hiring somebody or working with somebody 
that will give you clarity. We do this for free with clients, actually. We help go through their financial situations, and we help them identify what they want for free. Okay. Uh, so if listeners want to reach out to us, they can go to our website or our podcast and listen to us and schedule a free call with me directly. Um, or they could uh, download a free book. They could download our podcast, listen to them, and then reach out when they're ready. But this is something that we help our clients get clarity on. Uh, I've worked with clients before in certain situations where we are settling debt in, a, in an effective way, not in a way that's going to damage your credit. But we take a look at the terms and conditions with them. We're not attorneys or accountants, but we do provide our our professional opinions. You know, we, we even work sometimes with attorneys and accountants just to make sure that it's going to be a financially sound decision. And, and again, it all comes, it's not what, it's who, you know, it's, it's who can help you, not what can help you really. Yep. Yeah, it can be definitely overwhelming in some of those situations. But I think to your point, you know, one thing, call your creditors in many cases and tell them your situation and you might find out it's actually they're willing to work with you and adjust terms and things like that. In many cases, they're not the enemy and people go up looking at these other resources. Rightfully so, they're looking to use resources, but they come across organizations where people are trying to take advantage of that uh, situation and, and they, quote unquote, could help, but there's going to be a bigger cost on the backside of it. Yeah, you're so right. I actually, I was actually in that situation. So I, when I first started my business, I couldn't get approved for business loans. I didn't have much in savings, but I still had to operate a business. I still had to hire employees. And I had one credit card that had a 0% interest on it. It was a promotion with a $20,000 um, open balance on there. And I spent $20,000 on paying employees, uh, subscriptions, website development, you know, software, yeah. things like that. And it ended up being $20,000. And then my monthly payments we're like seven hundred dollars a month, and then most of that was interest. It was like really, it was like two to three hundred dollars a month in interest, and I was like, all right, this is a big problem. Um, and it was like eighteen or sixteen percent APR. And I called the credit card company, and I was like, hey, this is my situation. I I have money, I am making money, but can we please renegotiate this? Actually, believe it or not, they negotiated down to zero percent interest as wow. long as I paid every month. Yeah, they brought it down to zero percent interest. So yep. the and it had no negative impact on my credit at all. I lowered the interest and paid off the credit card, obviously, because I had no interest facing me. So yep. there's things that you could do like this with with knowledge of it. So just never just give up and think that you're in this situation. Dissect it and decompose the situation, bring it down, break it down into smaller, more manageable pieces, and then solve each one of those smaller pieces one at a time. Yeah, I like that. All right. Any final thoughts or advice for our listeners? Where can they find out more about you and your bank on yourself framework? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to you. If you go to uh, finassetprotection.com, it's F-I-N, asset, A-S-S-E-T, protection.com, fin assetprotection.com you can schedule a free call download a free ebook check out our podcast thinking like a bank uh, connect with me on linkedin just find our youtube channel all from that same website finassetprotection.com i'll be more than happy to talk to you help you solve some of your financial tr uh, problems or struggles let me know uh, reach out to me thank you all right awesome my guest today has been sari ibrahim founder of financial asset protection sari this has been great. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and your insights with us. Thank you. Thanks, Paul, for having me on. Awesome. All right, everyone, that wraps up another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. For more information like this, make sure to check out my website at www.cutlassleadership.com or check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. Chapter 10 specifically talks about leading yourself. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your favorite podcast channel and like it and share it. Help me spread this content out to those who can use it and improve this is Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp, reflect and improve. 
Then take what you learn and become a sturdy, versatile, and credible leader who dares to make a positive difference.